0: Good morning. You look good. Somebody got the memo about dressing up with your Easter best. How many of you brought, bought a new article of clothing to wear today? I'm not going to ask you what it was, so don't get too, like, jumpy. How many of you bought something new to wear today? Well, a few of you. Okay, good. good deal. How many of you remember back when Easter was, like, official clothes buying time for, like, a good outfit? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was, like new tie, new new suit, new everything. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's a delight to have you with us today. We pray that you would feel the power of God's presence that brings transformation and the warmth of God's family that just brings strength and encouragement to life. Thanks for, for joining us today. We're so glad you're here. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at the last week in the life of Christ, and oh my goodness, does it ever move at like lightning speed, as you're looking at last week of Christ, it starts on Sunday, uh, and we're including through Easter as, as the, the resurrection is part of it, but on Sunday, we see the triumphal entry, all these incredible things are happening, and I'm certain there were many who were followers of Christ who were thinking, this is it, this is the time. It's about to happen. This is going to be incredible. They were waiting for Jesus to overthrow the Roman government and reestablish Israel as the leaders. Well, that wasn't what God had in mind. wasn't what Jesus had in mind. And just kind of a newsflash for you, sometimes his plans were different than ours. And We have to continually seek him, trust him, and pray for guidance in every situation. Then we see coming up in the next few days that he cleans out the temple and runs the people off because it was a place where they were taking advantage of a situation, making money off people in a a very unfair manner. And uh, we talked about that. You can go back and look at it later. And then we go through to a shocking thing that he does. Uh, on, on the night of Passover celebration, one of the things he does starting off is he washes the feet of his disciples. Now, unfortunately, we don't connect with that, that very well culturally. Um, I've been to a few, a few foot washings in my lifetime. And a couple of years ago, our superintendent did that for us. And anybody ever been to a foot washing service? How many of you have not Okay, it's 50-50. I'm surprised. It's the most uncomfortable thing you'll ever experience in your life. (laughs) When people say, we're going to wash feet tonight, you just see a bunch of people going, oh, I think I need to go get a drink or something. I'm out of here. Because it's for our culture, it's very weird. Now, it, it very much was an act of a servant when Jesus did it. But it was a normal part of their regular life. Uh, it would be like us doing something for someone that that you know that that maybe would not be common or, or usual, but but extending hospitality in a way that that was just unbelievable. And they thought way beneath his station in life. And then we looked at the Last Supper a couple of weeks ago, and the the broken body, the shed blood that he he predicts and and tells them about prior to happening through illustration of the meal. Passover meal. The Passover started back under Moses as they were going to leave out of Egypt. And it signified their freedom from slavery. Jesus says it still signifies freedom from slavery. But it's not the slavery of the Egyptians that we're bound to anymore. It's the slavery of sin. Anybody ever noticed that sin has a way of getting a grip on you? Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7. He says, the things I don't want to do, I wind up doing. And the things I want to do, I don't do. So, you know, woe is me. You know, who will deliver me from this? And he ends that whole phrase of this frustration of life saying, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have opportunity for deliverance through the power of Jesus Christ. And then, uh, we looked last week at the garden and all the things that happened there starting around midnight or a little bit after uh, and, and all of the anguish that Jesus went through. So that brings us up today to the death and resurrection of Jesus, what I like to call the weekend that changed the world. We all have this tendency, probably most of us in the room, anybody in the room like living for the weekend? I mean, it's just better than the other days. How many of you know the day of the week that you were born on? Do you know the day of the week you were born on? You can look it up. I was born on a Tuesday. I mean, Tuesday. There's nothing good about Tuesday. It's not the start of the week. It's not the end of the week. It's not even hump day. It's Tuesday. The weekend, though. I mean, if you could pick the day you were born, how many of you just would kind of like being born on a Friday? So you, got, you start life off in a good spot. The weekend that changed the world, there's some debate from different scholars because we don't have the exact same timing. I told you this, the, uh, during the, the Jewish people operated off of a uh, solely lunar calendar, kind of a combination of sun and moon, both. And so that's why for us, Easter jumps all over the place. And how many of you are like me? You like control and order. And the fact that Easter is like, next year it's in March. You know, for real. It's in March next year. And I'm like, I hate that. Because I like to have time to build up to it. But it's a different kind of calendar. So some of the dates are a tad bit off. And there are people that think that Good Friday was actually on Thursday. And they kind of get that based on the fact Jesus said I'd be in the grave three days and three nights. Now, I'll be honest with you, all of the speculation, I can buy into some of the different things people say, and there's probably some truth here, truth there, but the reality is those details for me aren't the important thing to note. And if you want to have a discussion about them, I can, but I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time dwelling on how that all happened. I'm more focused on what was the impact of the event. Typically, traditionally, as Christians, we celebrate Good Friday as the day of his death and Easter Sunday is the day he resurrected that could have been a Jewish idiom that had a different meaning than we understand exactly completely or it could have been that he didn't need the whole time to get it done he just kind of got done early i don't know i i think Jesus whatever he does he does he can do it quicker than we ever could so you look at the story here you see his commitment you see the love of god uh, you, you see all the things that happen By the way, I preached a very similar sermon last night. I say similar for this reason. It's pretty much the same sermon, but I rewrote it after last night because I just, a couple things I want to change. And so I'm looking at two things with you this morning. The first one is the death of Jesus paid for our sins. And I want you just to understand the reality of that. I've got three verses in your notes for you that relate to this. I I, I could have given you 50. There are so many verses that talk about this. It's the theme of... Of The New Testament and it is also the focus of the Old Testament that Jesus would come and die for the sins of the world. The death of Jesus paid for our sins. Galatians 1 4 says this Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our father planned. Isn't that powerful? Those two phrases are so significant. Jesus gave his life, and we'll see that again in just a moment. He gave it willingly. He gave it. It wasn't taken from him. And God planned it that way. You know, there's a lot of things in life that seem unfair. Anybody in the room have trouble with unfairness and injustice in life? Probably all of us. It's kind of a theme of, of our, the culture that we live in is protecting people from those things. And when we hear about it, we're outraged over injustice and we're outraged uh, over unfairness. Yet the reality is sometimes there are things that we do that have a connecting consequence attached to them that cannot be avoided. You know, I was thinking about this a while back. I, you know, I, I don't think most of us enjoy pain. There may be a few people that do. They're mentally off. <laughs> we would all prefer enjoyment, pleasure. I mean, that's kind of the way we're geared, the way we're built, and, and, and that's our thing. And so what we would love to get is great results with no pain, no expense, no difficulty, no, no work. But the reality is, part of the price of success is pain. you got to be willing to endure. It's a word that we don't like. You know, we would rather overcome and then not have to endure. But Jesus endured the cross, the writer of Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him. And he died willingly by the plan of the Father, in order, and here's the big kicker, to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. The fact that Jesus came and died on the cross gives us freedom from sin. Immediately, it gives us freedom when we accept him as our Savior, freedom from the penalty of sin. It also gives us freedom from the power of sin, and one day we'll have freedom even from the presence of sin. I don't think that most of us can even get a close idea of what heaven's going to be like, where there's no pain, no suffering, no sin, no heartache, no hardship, no difficulty, what that will be. And Jesus paid for that with his death on the cross. The most significant statement of the crucifixion is when Jesus says, it is finished. It's a foundation of Christian faith. The question for us this morning is, do we believe that? If you don't believe the fact that Jesus claimed it is finished, if you don't agree to that or understand that in practice, you'll always be wondering what we have to do to keep God pleased with us. We'll always be afraid. Are we in or out? Are we going to make it or not? And by the way, I talked about this last week. I won't go into all of it again. But the devil, one of his chief actions against all people, believers especially, is that he is an accuser. He is continually questioning the validity of your faith. Anybody ever experienced that? He's continually questioning uh, the the eligibility of your salvation. The devil often will say to us, Do you think you're good enough? You think, I know all about you. Are you kidding me? We are not saved because of our goodness. We are saved because of his goodness. You you read through here and you realize when he said it is finished, it means that we don't have to wonder about how God feels about us. His word tells us we don't have to have a checklist of do's and don'ts. Now, let me be real clear. When you begin to to place your hand in the life of Jesus and you call on him to be your Lord and Savior, it's going to change everything about how you live. The word's called transformation, transformation. I don't know how popular it is anymore, but remember a few years ago, the whole Transformers think kick that was all, you know, big, big deal. And like little cars, they had toys that would you move them around. All of a sudden, they're big, giant dinosaurs or whatever. Crazy stuff. Transformed means to take on a totally different appearance, to be changed from the inside out. When we become followers of Jesus Christ, we are transformed, and we gain this understanding we are not saved by our good works. I could never earn my salvation. If I read the entire Bible every day, if I gave 80% of my income to the church, if, if I spent 12 hours in prayer, well, number one, what I just described is not even doable. Because there's not enough time in the day to do those things. But if I did those things, I could never come to God and say, look at me. Because by nature, we have all sinned and we have all failed to measure up to the righteousness God wants from us. But Jesus Christ achieved it. And when I am in him, God looks at me as he looks at Jesus. He declares me righteous. We are not saved by our good works but hear this very clearly we are saved to do good works but the motivation is totally different it makes a big change in the way that we approach life i'm not doing it now to earn salvation i'm doing it out of gratitude for salvation Jesus says it is finished. It was a big thing. His death on the cross, you know this, if you watch the passion of Christ. By the way, the word passion uh, that's given there, the passion of Christ, it doesn't mean what most of us think of. We think of passion. We think of passion as, oh, passion and love and sweet. Passion means suffering. So the passion of Christ is the suffering of Christ. And if you saw the movie a few years ago, by the way, I didn't because I don't like it. Makes me mad when they beat up on Jesus. And I just like, I I know what happened. And if you watched it, good for you. If it helped you, great. I don't really care to see that. Just being real honest with you there. His death was violent, it was brutal. Isaiah 53, I'll mention this just a minute, it's one of the messianic prophecies that relate to the crucifixion of Jesus. And in Isaiah 53, it talks about how he would be beaten, how he, his, his face would be marred beyond recognition. His death was violent. It was voluntary. He laid it down. It was vicarious. He didn't die for his own sins. He died for ours. You know, and I, I, this will come up in a minute in a little bit more in a different way, but it's amazing all the people that try to explain away the resurrection or even the crucifixion as if they've somehow logically figured it out and it's really not that big a deal or whatever. And some theological goofball had this thought that I read this last week reading about all of this and he said that, you know, that Jesus' death wasn't really what purchased our salvation because if that's all it took, one of the thieves could have died for us. And I'm like... How, as a theologian, how can you be that incompetent? It wasn't just the death of of Jesus. It was the death of Jesus as the Lamb of God, the righteous, holy one. Nobody else could ever stand up and say, I'm qualified for that, nor would we want to. It wasn't just that he died, but he died as the sinless Lamb of God. And he did it for us. But I want you to know this. His death was not defeat. It was victorious. In the last somewhere around uh, 18 hours or so of the life of Christ from from in the garden to his death. There are coincidentally about 18 prophecies that relate to that period of time. One actually goes back connected before that these these prophecies were given anywhere from a thousand to five hundred years prior to this time, and, and uh, those numbers really don't mean a lot to us until I put it in this context. I don't know if there are any true historians in the room, but I'm going to kind of bet that if I said, "Can you tell me one thing that happened?" In 1523, 500 years ago, most of us would be scratching our head. There's one or two of you snarky people in the room who would go, the sun rose and set, you know, <laughs> yay for you, you know, Mr. Obvious. Um, I don't know what happened in 1523. Go back to 1023. I don't know what happened. A thousand years ago, 500 years ago. I don't know what happened in those times. That's how long before these 18 prophecies were made and they dealt with things like Jesus being betrayed by friends for silver, how the money would be used, being forsaken by the disciples, being openly mocked, many shaking their head, giving vinegar to drink, forsaken by God, his hands and feet pierced like a Passover lamb, no bones would be broken, his side would be pierced, his spirit committed to God and buried in a rich man's tomb. And all of those things were predicted anywhere from 500 to a thousand years prior to this occurring and every one of them happened and if you read the text they were described with great specificity try to say that word real quick can't say it even slow specific knowledge it's called a workaround right there and with accurate detail Well, I don't know if I can believe in all that God stuff or not. It's just too hard for me to believe all those things happened. It's too hard for me to believe they didn't happen. The incredible nature of God's prophetic word. His death had an impact immediately on those around him. Luke 23, 46 through 49 says that when he died, the Roman officer who was overseeing the execution saw what had happened. I love this phrase, and he worshiped God. Now, we all have seen movies with the Roman soldiers, right, from this era. I mean, these guys are tough. They're rugged. You know, they, they, you know, they eat raw meat and, you know, and, and, and just march through town taking charge. Tough, tough, tough guys. And at the moment Christ died, he realized this was not like any other crucifixion that I have ever been in charge of. And immediately, the response of this Roman soldier was to worship God. Now, now notice, the closer connected people were, the, the less impact it had, because they were still struggling through their own lack of understanding. The crowd, the Bible says later on, the crowd that came to see the crucifixion, when they saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. So the soldier who was far from God worships. The crowd who had heard him do his teachings and whatever, they go home sad. And the ones who were his closest friends, they stand at a distance. I don't know all of what that means. I just find it to be very interesting that the fact that we have we have knowledge that is firsthand, we have knowledge that, that is very clear, does not guarantee the right response if our heart's not right. You know, I do think that there's a, a tremendous challenge that we all have to deal with, and it's the fact of being so aware of Jesus and who he is that we allow it to lose impact in our life to the way that it should. And I think it's so critical every day for us to start off with, Lord, give me a fresh awareness of who you are. His followers, they were confused. They were hurt. They were mourning. They were fearful. They were frustrated. They were guilty, riddled with doubt. All of these crazy emotions going on. Uh, early on in this whole study, I printed off this list. of It's called the the Scripture Guide to the Events of Holy Week. You can get it from a lot of different places. And it goes through all the different things happening. On Thursday, There's, there's... Oh, my goodness, there's probably 20 things listed on Thursday. On Friday, there's, there's like 9 or 10 things listed there. No more than that. There's like 30 things listed there. On Saturday, there's one thing. The chief priests and Pharisees place guards at the tomb. We don't have any idea of what's going on with the disciples. We can conjecture all sorts of ideas that are probably pretty accurate. I do know this, that they were, they were marred in fear and confusion. When Jesus died, they were not meeting together to formulate a new vision plan. Their vision plan was hide. We will die too. It's important you understand that because even though this was the most significant event that would happen up to this time, I think the resurrection trumps it by just a bit, but this is a major significant, probably in my mind, and I, I don't like delineation of numbers, because how do you talk about Jesus coming to earth, dying on the cross, or rising from, they're all three part of the same package, and I don't know that it's a lot of value in saying which one's most important. They're all three of enormous significance, and this is one of the greatest moments in the history of the church, and the disciples who have followed him for three years don't even get it. Now, some of you should feel pretty good about yourself right now. If those guys didn't get it and they didn't know what to do, I guess when I'm a little confused or unsure, God's okay with that. He's not freaking out that I'm not perfect in understanding. When you look at this whole thing, the second thing I want you to see is this. Jesus, his, his crucifixion, his death on the cross paid for our salvation, paid for our sins... But the resurrection of Jesus provided our victory. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 57. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's nothing that we have attained, nothing that we have earned. But it's through Jesus Christ that we receive it. Here's what I know about the death and resurrection, these are things I would probably say on Saturday, is things are not always as they appear. He was taken from the cross in a lifeless condition. All of those who were nearby, they were wondering what's going to happen now. I've got an inside of the story I'm gonna show with you in a minute that just it's one of those things to me that just shows the humanity of the of the apostles. He's taken from the cross in a lifeless condition, but how many of you know that in just a couple of days he's going to appear as a living Savior who lives forever, who intercedes for us, praying on our behalf, who has conquered death, who has made a spectacle of the enemy, who has triumphed, and he's the resurrected Lord. Looked like he was dead, but hang on. For the end of the story, the power of the disciples had dissolved... It was, like, it was like watching something like, like that, that, that is like, like sand or something like that, having water poured on it and just falling apart, being flattened. There is no power. There's no courage. There's no hope. As I said earlier, these guys are in a room hiding with the door locked, hoping that nobody comes across them. How many of you know you can't live life that way? COVID kind of pointed that out for us. And we didn't have it as bad as this. They were truly in fear of their lives, that if they were seen and identified, that they would be killed. Satan celebrated the death of Jesus, but heaven awaited his resurrection. Don't end your story too soon. In your personal life. Maybe you've had hardship. Maybe you've had difficulty. Maybe you have problems. Listen to me. I'm not trying to be flippant or just to be trite with my comment. But if that's where you are today. You are in the right place for a comeback. Don't let the devil short sell you. And tell you there's no hope. There's no purpose. You're right where you need to be. To have a life resurrection. The devil Looked at him and celebrated that he had died, but heaven said he's coming back. Now, when you look at the resurrection, some of you may fall into this category. I do in a very personal way. I look at things and I try to look at things logically and understand. And it's a little bit hard to figure out. I I took some of the day. Our whole faith is based on the fact that a dead man came back to life. A little tough for some people to grab hold of. I've never seen that. Well, there's a lot of things I've never seen. doesn't mean they're not real. I, I can't use my sight as the measurement for the reality of life. A lot of things I have. A lot of things you haven't seen. I haven't seen that. But the truth is, it did happen. Now, now, let me look at it from a logical perspective for those of you that have that tendency and lean that way. So, first of all, I want to talk about, just for a couple of minutes, the fact that there are many people that tried to come up with ways to explain away the resurrection and to deny its reality. One group came up with a theory, and by the way, this came out, it actually came out, that the denying the resurrection, came about somewhere around three years after the time of Christ because most scholars believe that 1 Corinthians 15, the first part, verses 3 and through that talk about Christ being risen indeed, They believe that that was written probably within five years of the death of Jesus. Now it's recorded in the letter of the Corinthians that came out about 25 years or so after the death of Christ. But there was already people denying the resurrection at that point in time. And it's continued on through all the different years. So all of these theories I'm going to give you, they're not new. And if you see somebody come out of the book says, a new theory on the resurrection, it probably is an old theory that's just kind of been rehashed and reformed and rebuilt. One of them was called the swoon theory. And by the way, they're all stupid. (laughs) It's easier to believe in the resurrection than what these ideas are. So if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, what happened? The swoon theory says this. He never truly died. He was unconscious, but somehow being put in the tomb, it was a cooler temperature, and he just naturally kind of healed up in the three days he was there after having his back beaten where it looked like hamburger and having his beard plucked out of his face, crown of thorns, on a cross for six hours, spear in the side, but who knew? That if you go lay in a tomb for three days, you're going to be fine. And, and, and in this story, the interesting thing is, if you'll remember what happened, the, the stone of the tomb was rolled out of the way, not just enough to sneak out. Anybody ever work with granite countertops and tried to pick those things up? I remember like the first time I saw one, I'm thinking, it's no big deal. <clears throat> I'm going to need some help. You know, I mean, you're, if you're moving granite countertops, I need like 14 guys to come and help me. You know, this thing is crazy, crazy heavy. This, this stone was huge. Now, now it was a little bit in a round thing, but you got to remember back then, they didn't have the machinery you have today. It wasn't perfectly round. It wasn't just right. And even getting a large object that is perfectly round to, to begin to roll and move is a little bit of a task. Somehow, he didn't just move it out of the way a little bit. He rolled it way off in this beautifully resurrected by the tomb, which was 58 degrees Fahrenheit, perfectly situated to help bring health. That's called the swoon theory. The second theory, I'll go through those a little quicker. Just took a little time making fun of that one. The second one is, is that the body was stolen that the guys who were actually out hiding in a room, hoping nobody could found them, somehow got up enough courage to come and overpower the Roman guards, which were the elite of the elite. They were the best guards of the Roman Empire who were guarding that thing. And these, you know, the, these, these fishermen guys just all of a sudden said, let's give it a chance and who knows. That didn't happen, obviously. Some, some try to take this approach. They say, well, it's, it's, it's just really, it's, it's a mystical meaning, and it's not literal. It's more of just an illustration. His body, he didn't really rise from the dead. He just kind of, sort of did. Why would they write about that? What's the point of that? If you're going to make up stuff that didn't really happen, but pretend it happened, it doesn't make sense. The last one's one of my favorites. Somebody came up with the idea of this. This is is pretty funny here. Jesus was a twin. Never mentioned by anybody else, but just kind of this last minute thought, maybe he had a twin or a cousin who bore a striking resemblance to him. Let's just go with the twin thing. And let's, you know, twins always have kind of rhyming or sounding names that sound alike, same first letter, whatever. Let's go with Jesus and Justice. That's the two twin boys here. And I can just see like Mary and and other family members going to Justice and saying, okay, you are the stunt double for Thursday and Friday. (laughs) Bad news, they're going to kill you. It's going to be painful, really painful. That's the bad news. The good news, not for you, but for Jesus. He's going to be a hero when this thing is over. How many of you would want to be justice? (laughs) I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's flip for this thing or something. You know, I'm not just doing this without something going on. And so there's all these illustrations. Now let me go, let me flip back to the other side of the coin. There are also, though, some facts that we need to consider about the resurrection that prove its validity. First of all, are eyewitnesses. Let's say you are accused of a crime that happened in Tulsa, but there's one person who can verify and validate that you were in Oklahoma City when the crime occurred. How many of you know you got a pretty good shot of getting off? Let's say there's two people who saw you in Oklahoma City at the exact time that the crime occurred in Tulsa. How many of you know you got a really good chance of getting off? Let's go even further. There are 500 people who saw you in Oklahoma City when the crime occurred in Tulsa. How many of you, there's no way you're even going to trial? There were over 500 witnesses according to 1 Corinthians 15. He appeared to the women. He appeared to the disciples. He spent 40 days on the earth after his resurrection, before his ascension. He was seen by many. Matthew 28 gives a real interesting statement. In one of his appearances, there are many people, there are a multitude of people there to see him. It says, and they worshiped, but some doubted. For some people, it's so hard to let go of what they can't understand through logic that they just shut down. The disciples give credence to this belief because of their eyewitness account. Not only that, there's an empty tomb. Now, I'm confident that Jesus being the person that they thought was this insurrectionist, they would have made sure to establish, we know he's not alive. This is where he is. He's dead. Everyone who follows him, we're going to do the same thing to you if you don't stop. But instead, they have no place to point. We were there last September. They're not sure where the tomb was. Maybe it was here over down in the downtown area or maybe out over in the garden. They don't know for sure. They say, pick whichever one you think is right, I guess. Doesn't matter because they're both empty. Jesus has risen from the dead. Go even further and think about transformed lives. How can you explain the Apostle Paul who was killing Christians? And then he's riding on the road and and the Holy Spirit comes down. And God God knocks him off onto the ground on the road to Damascus. Loses sight for a few days. Now, he was transformed, but... (laughs) It's kind of funny to me, even the Christians didn't really believe he was transformed to the point that they're suspicious of him and they don't want to have anything to do with him. Then Barnabas comes along and brings him in under his arm and says, he's okay, he's the real deal. We all know Paul wrote half the New Testament in volume, many of the books of the New Testament, many more than half the books. We also know that he was beheaded for his faith. Don't you think that if he did not really fully believe in this resurrection thing, there's some point in time he would have checked out. Some point he would have said time out. He was beaten. He had all kind of horrible things happen. He was in prison for his faith in Christ. He could have easily denied it and stepped out of the way. But he kept going on. Why? Because it's true. Not only him, but look at all the people who are willing to die for their belief in his story. All of the original apostles. What would cause these fearful men to live out the entirety of their life, however short or long it was, most of them dying for their faith as martyrs of the faith. Why did it happen? It happened because the resurrection is real and it secures our victory. Now here's the, the, here's the crux of the moment. I, I think that everything hinges on the resurrection. If you deny the resurrection then really you're denying the Christian faith. It's that simple. There's no way you can say, I believe in Jesus, believe in God. Don't know about him coming back from the dead. That's a little too far-fetched for me to go there, so I'm going to give it up. By the way, our faith already believes that he was conceived from a virgin, believes that God spoke and the world came into existence. So if you're having trouble with the supernatural, you're going to have a whole lot of trouble. Salvation is a supernatural encounter. Everything we believe in is supernatural. So we have to believe that God rose Jesus from the dead. That he was raised up in power. Whether you experience the fullness of life he wants you to have hinges on, can you wrap your faith around the resurrection of Jesus? Colossians two thirteen through 15 says this, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. 1 John 5, 5 says, and who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The resurrection changes everything. New life starts with the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam. Listen to this. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Hallelujah. That is the hope, the promise of God. The disciples, over time, didn't happen immediately, but over the next few days, that's why Jesus stayed 40 days, because he had to help them get through this. Over this time, they went from mourning to rejoicing. Their fear was replaced with courage. Read the book of Acts. It's incredible what happens when they put their faith in Christ, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they become men and women of courage. Their failure would be replaced with world-changing impact. Let me go back and read the original story out of Luke. Of the resurrection of Jesus. But Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. Taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as they stood there puzzled. And again, it's interesting Jesus had told them, I'm going to die and be resurrected. But when they see it, they're like, what's going on? They're puzzled. Two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? the Son of Man must be betrayed in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. Isn't it amazing? I mean, it just happened a few days before, but they had forgotten already. It's amazing what fear, it's amazing what despair can do to your memory. He's risen, just as he said. So they rushed back from the tomb, the the ladies, to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. No, no, get this. Okay, Jesus died, day of nothing happening, hiding in the the room. And when they're brought the story by these women who were followers of Jesus, here's what it says, verse 11, Luke 24 the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. These are the apostles. They're being told, he is risen, just as he promised. And the the apostles go, y'all are just crazy. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Kind of going, yay, Peter, but hang on. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering What had happened? Don't get too down on Peter because you'd probably be in the same way. I know I would have. What changed it when Jesus appeared to them again? See, there's this journey of faith. And I don't know how this stacks up in everybody's theology class, but I think it's pretty accurate. The First thing that happens in the journey of faith is we get information. (coughs) We hear something. We're made aware of something. There's got to be more than that. The second thing that has to happen is revelation. That's where it kind of comes alive. I I, I think probably everybody in the room, you've heard the fact Jesus Christ rose from the dead for a long time. You you may even understand it as a fact or whatever. But when it comes alive in you, that's when the revelation occurs where the Holy Spirit kind of amplifies it, makes it bigger for you. Now, this this is my observation. Here's where I'm not totally sure this is exactly right but the gist of it's right and you'll understand what i'm saying sometimes there are people that's been revealed to them jesus is risen from the dead he is present tense not just past tense and that it's been revealed by the holy spirit but they 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 continue to struggle with sin they continue to struggle with issues of life and i think what has to happen we have to make this this conscious effort to apply the reality of that truth to our lives. It's, it's not enough just to, 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 for it all to be on God's side. God is the initiator. God is, is the author. He, it's all about what he does. But there's some part of the partnership where we, we take it and we apply it to our own lives. And the result of that then is transformation where we become a new person. I've often wished that God would just kind of like shoot down something from heaven and zap us. And it would all be in there, you know, kind of like reprogramming your computer or whatever. And when it's done, boom, I'm there. But the reality is, we walk by faith, we take the steps. But as we walk, He is faithful. And he will create you into a new person, a, transfer, a transformed person, someone who is different on the inside and the outside. And it's all based in the fact of the weekend to change the world. When Jesus died and rose again, he died for my salvation, he rose for my victory. And through faith in him, I am transformed. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? We're going to worship God together in music in just a moment here. So we're we're, we're close to wrapping up. But I want to pray with you first of all. And I want to ask, who would be here today? And you might say, I've never accepted Jesus my Savior. I'm I'm far away from Him. I need to renew that commitment to Him. And I want to have revelation of the fact that He is the risen Savior. I want to apply it to my life and allow the Holy Spirit to bring transformation. I want that in my life today. Would you raise your hand all across the room? I want to grow in that that process of faith. How many would there be here today? Pastor, pray for me. That's what I need in my life. Maybe you're watching online, and that's what you need. Right now is the time to to, to make that confession of faith. Lord, I believe in you. I want you to stand with me for just a moment. If our prayer team that's here today, if you guys could come to the front, I'm going to invite people to come for prayer in just a moment. If you'd come really quick, so you'll be here to meet them as they come. I want to lead you in a prayer and and as I pray this prayer I don't necessarily want you to have to say it out loud today with me but I want you to pray it in your heart as I say this prayer would you just agree with me and in just a moment I'm going to give one more invitation then we're going to worship the God in song and then we're going to conclude but as I pray this prayer of commitment and gratitude for God would you just pray it with me in your heart right now Dear God, I thank you that you gave your son Jesus. He came willingly, voluntarily, so that I might be redeemed, so that hope could be restored and life, my life transformed. Lord, I thank you that you are the risen Savior. I know that I need a Savior. I know that we all in this room have sinned, and because of sin, we need salvation. We need to be saved from our sin because sin leads to death, but faith leads to life. Faith leads to victory. I pray, Lord, today that you would bring your forgiveness and put it in our hearts as we call upon you. I thank you for the word of God. That Paul wrote to the Romans that tells us that if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we shall be saved. Jesus, thank you for the weekend that changed the world. Now may we walk as transformed people because of your grace. It's in your name I pray. Amen. If you're here today and there's a need in your life, if it's for healing, if it's for direction, if it's for uh, relationships, anything that might be going on, you want someone to pray with you about, there are people here in the front who want to join you. As we sing this song together, would you come to the front and let somebody join you in faith right now? And just believe for God to meet your need. If you're not coming to the front, can we just worship the God as we sing unto Him right now?